Hello. Welcome to Supernatural Stories, the show where you'll hear real stories of the supernatural from real people all across Canada. I'm your host and producer of the show, Cal Goodbaum, broadcasting from Rocking Chair Studio in Toronto. Hope you enjoy the show wherever you are. Thanks for listening. This episode, we'll be hearing stories about two haunted theatres, both in Vancouver, British Columbia. But trust you me, there are many more haunted theatres across Canada, including several in Toronto you'll hear mentioned later in the show. I'm reaching out to current and past employees to find out about their experiences, and I was also lucky enough to get in touch with a paranormal researcher who you'll hear from later in the show. First are stories from Bill Allman, about his time managing the Vogue Theatre. First off, any theatre is is kind of creepy after hours when the audience has left and the mm-hmm. performers have vacated the building. It's, it's a big, empty hall. And the other thing is anyone who knows anything about theatres will tell you every single theatre on Earth is haunted. It's just sort of a just sort of a part of theatrical lore. It's also why they have what they call a ghost light that stands just a bare light bulb in the middle of the stage in between performances. So I knew all this, of course. You know, you grow up in theater, you, you know these stories. And I started at the Vogue Theater in May of 1994. And I'd say it was maybe three weeks later that I was locking the place up alone in the building, one in the morning probably. I was downstairs just securing the carpentry room and putting the tools away and got that feeling, you know, that feeling that someone's right behind you? Well, I got it and it made my blood run cold. I turned around and what I saw was the best thing I can describe it as a three-dimensional shadow passing by the door of the carpentry room out in the hallway. So I stood up, I walked to the door, I looked out, I looked left, I looked right, there was nobody in the hallway. I went, okay, that was a ghost. And I finished my lockup and got the hell out of the building as fast as I could. It made me chill a little bit, but it didn't uh, It didn't make me reluctant to work there. I was quite happy to carry on. Uh, the Vogue was a great place to work. It's, it was built in 1941. Uh, it was actually built along the same lines as a vaudeville theater, but primarily ran at the movie house. I saw an apparition in the auditorium Maybe not even a week later, just I walked out on stage and was aware of somebody standing four or five rows in from the front of the stage, and they just dissolved as I turned to look at them. It was probably a year later we had a show in called Unforgettable, the music of Matt King Cole. In the interim, there had been you know, posters that flew off of shelves and doors that banged, and every single staff member and crew member who worked in the boat heard or saw something. In 1995, we had the Snacking Cole musical, and one of the performers, fellow by the name of Shane McPherson, did a Mel Torme version of Route 66. He was up on stage dancing and doing his uh, soft shoe with a cane, and, and I was actually watching the, the show at that point. He dropped his cane and completely blew his lines. So I walked downstairs afterwards and said to him, what happened? And he said, this was at the interval. He said, oh, you're going to think I'm crazy. You won't believe me. I said, no, no, try me. 
And he said, I saw somebody come out of the stage left entrance on the floor, like in the audience area, wearing all white, look up at me and dissolve. Oh my God. Yeah. Now, Shane described him quite clearly. He said, listen, he, uh, he had short, dark hair, fairly angular features, and as I say, dressed all in white. What really drove it home for me, and that was the moment at which I went, okay, without any doubt, there is a ghost in this theater. Because I had taken a friend and his girlfriend on a tour of the theater about three weeks earlier. And we'd been up in the uh, projection booth. The girlfriend stopped. She said, I don't want to go in the booth. And she didn't tell me till about two days later. She said, I saw a man sitting in a chair right behind you. You didn't see him, obviously. And she said he was wearing light-colored clothing, had short crop dark hair and angular features. Now, there is no way that Shane and this woman could possibly have corroborated their stories. So when Shane gave me the exact same description, you know, you look for independent witnesses telling you the same thing. I went, okay, it's real. Now, we did some research, uh, a bunch of us, uh, the staff there did some research to see if we could find a fatality or a bad accident or anything, could find nothing. But what we did notice is that the ghost appeared or made his presence known in working areas of the theater. So the downstairs dressing room hallways, the catwalks, the projection booth. So someone who maybe used to work there when they were living and then as a spirit, they're still going back to where they worked. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and listen, there's more than one person who says that's probably what's going to happen to me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You get pretty attached to these places, and, and you know the Vogue was a—it was a lot of fun. We had every act you can think of through there. We had Cheryl Crow and the band. I mean, the legendary uh, Levon Helm band. We had them, and we had Gwen Stefani back when she was with No Doubt, and you know before she was really Gwen Stefani. Back when she was enjoyable. Let's be honest. <laughs> you said it. I didn't. <laughs> Times that I saw or experienced things, my mind was completely on something else, fairly relaxed. I mean, I actually heard him playing the drums one afternoon, and I guarantee you, whatever I was doing, it was sort of a, you know, a rote job. I was working on something that required no particular concentration, and all of a sudden I heard this boom, 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 boom. Uh, oh, that's, that's the Ringo Starr-style drum kit that's up on the stage. We were doing this Beatles tribute at the time. I scampered up onto the stage, and there's the Ludwig kit, silent, and nobody else in the building. And a couple of our staff heard that uh, later in the evening as well. So you never can tell, as Chuck Berry used to say. (laughs) So it's common knowledge that many theaters are haunted. Why do you think this is? Is there something about actors? Yes and no. I think what it is is that a theater is a place where performers and audiences experience great releases of emotion. Mm -hmm. And I think that leaves an impression on the building. Whether it's it's a band that you love, uh, singing songs that enthrall you, or whether it's being on stage and singing your heart out to your leading lady, who nine times out of ten you fall in love with whether you're married or not, because that's how stage romances work. There's that, like I say, an emotional release. I think that leaves an imprint. I think there's a, also sort of a collective um, psychic impression. Well, what's uh, catharsis, right? Cathartic. That's, there's there's yeah. the word I've been jumping around trying to find That's what I was thinking about too. I studied a little bit of drama in school and they talked about how the process of 
coming together for shared emotions produces catharsis. Totally. And it's like this space is charged up by all those people all feeling those emotions somehow. That's right. And I think, you know, the fact is, as a, as a theater worker, as someone who works in the business, you have those attachments to these buildings as well. This is why it, it wasn't actually unusual to me that someone who had worked in the Vogue would continue to haunt it. Because if you think about it, you've, yeah, you've worked there, you've grown attached to the building, you've had those cathartic moments, maybe even just watching movies. Whatever it is, your spirit, your soul, your, your psyche stays attached to the property. Well, yeah, with some people, the theater is their favorite place. I think about it's becoming less common, but, you know, you used to go to see, to the theater to see two shows a week kind of thing used to be more common. And for some people, that was their, you know, third place. They weren't, in, if they don't go to pubs or something, they go to theaters and see shows. I can see for a lot of people that being like a, one of the most important places to them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. And And I mean... Again, I say for people who, who still work in it, and that's who most of my coworkers and friends are, that is still true of a theater. You you still you have those moments, and only in that place. And those moments create memories and impressions that last a lifetime, and apparently beyond. It's one thing I do know about uh, the whole phenomenon. You have no say over what you see or when you see it. Because I led... I don't know how many tours through that theater late at night, sometimes just by candlelight, of people, um, particularly women my age, who wanted to try and see the ghost. We never saw the ghost, ever. They were still very, very pleasant evenings, but we never saw the ghost. And who knows why? It's one of those things where it may happen one day out of a couple of years, and there's no real telling why. Very true. You know, now that I'm no longer working daily in a haunted theater, it has the benefit of hindsight, and I can think about the things about it. But it was a bit of an honor to know that I was able to connect with that plane, even at the time. And I was aware that it was a privilege to have been able to dial into that, if only for a few moments. Well, thank you for sharing that privilege, sharing that experience with myself and other listeners. My absolute pleasure, and good luck with in your hunting. Last episode. I spoke to Damian Atkins about his experience writing and acting in his one-man show, We Are Not Alone. Before speaking to him, I was going to ask him about what Bill said, that all theaters are haunted. But I didn't need to bring it up because Damian came out and said that himself. I, I did grow up in the theater, you know, and the theater is full of ghosts. So that's something I needed to ask you about. I was talking with someone who was the manager of the Vogue Theater in Vancouver, and they said, well, you know, everyone knows that theaters all have ghosts. Yeah, they, they generally do, yeah. So I can remember as a kid feeling like I was having experiences with ghosts, you know, and it wasn't that weird. Were those feelings of, feelings of being watched or...? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, theater ghosts tend to be lurking either in the wings, kind of watching, or you feel like they're sitting in the audience. It's like it was a place that they loved to be, and so. I like how casually you can say that because, you know, I've been trying to. It's a topic that the public, by and large, gets no insight into. You know, all you'd have to do really is, like, talk to people who work in those theaters quite a bit. 
if there's a permanent staff there or actors like almost every theater has something like that if you ask around and ask around enough somebody will say oh yeah i mean there is a thing you know in a theater i don't know if you know this but at night when everybody goes home they leave a solitary light in the theater it's on a stand it's just a yeah ghost light right you know all theaters do that so what's the whole meaning of that you know, I, I, you know, at some point I knew, but I, I wouldn't, I, I want to oh, fake it. I, I feel like it has to do with something with, I don't know if this is romantic, but in my head it has to do with like, like keeping the ghost company, like leaving the light on for the ghost. I'm sure there are also practical reasons to it, but you do call it a ghost light, so. Go to the Royal Alex, I'm sure they have ghost stories. I'm absolutely certain they will. Or if you go to the Winter Garden, the Elgin Lake. Some of those old theaters, I'm sure they do. We Are Not Alone is playing right now in Edmonton. Go to the website theaternetwork.ca so you can get tickets to go see it. If you are a fellow actor like Damien, or someone involved with theaters, or who has experienced paranormal activity in a venue like this, Get in touch. Send me your stories by going to www.supernaturalstories.ca and I can have you on the show to share them. Usually, it's a more anonymous process, but this episode, all of the guests are public figures. Mostly, I speak to regular, everyday people across Canada who have just had the most out-of-the-ordinary sort of day. This next guest, though, is anything but that. He's had numerous experiences that are unexplainable but he has sought out to try and explain them with science and by seeking these experiences out. I got in touch with Peter about his work with the Vancouver Paranormal Society and their experiences investigating the Orpheum Theatre in Vancouver. You'll be hearing several more stories from him on future episodes of the show. First, he'll give you a little understanding of his extensive background in paranormal investigation before he shares true stories of ghosts in the Orpheum. mentioned that you know something about the Orpheum Theater being haunted. Your work with Vancouver Paranormal Society, I'm sure you've got some pretty interesting stories. Well, I've been doing this now for like 20, coming up 25 years now. I started in England, obviously where I was born. Everyone that's uh, interested in this field, everyone has their experiences and stuff like that. Mine was, uh, I lived in uh, a 17th century house in an old village in England and we had like a every morning there'd be like these lights going through our house and stuff like that and it was it wasn't uh, like it, it was to the point where it was in a hallway as well where there was no windows and stuff like that so we always discounted it like growing up and uh, then eventually we moved away and it kind of it's always been in the back of my mind when I was younger like growing up I always got ghost books and stuff like that anyway finally when I was 16, I started an apprenticeship and I was working up London. I went round one of these craft fairs and there was a paranormal group there. I got talking to them and uh, I bugged them and bugged them and bugged them. I said, I want to go out with you guys and stuff like that one night. So they took me out. 
And uh, lo and behold, 25 years later, I'm still doing it. I've investigated in, uh, obviously, in Canada. I've been down to the States. I lived in Australia for three years as well, so I investigated out there. I investigated in New Zealand as well. I've been very fortunate the places I've been. I got to Canada probably about 12 years ago, and almost straight away when I arrived there, I had to hanker into going investigate. So I joined up with Vancouver Paranormal Society. Within two months, the president then, who, who run the group, she retired, and uh, she put me in charge because I was a guy with the most experience. I had a reputation that came over from England. I've always been associated with a paranormal back home. You know, I know teams all over the world, and I've reached out to a lot of teams before as well. To go with VPS about 10 years ago, we do a lot of residential cases. I specialise more in the negative cases. I work also for a father, a priest in Washington who sends me whenever he gets cases on the West Coast. I just evaluate what the next stages are if there is anything negative there, which 99.9% of the time there isn't. We were actually the first group on the West Coast to actually start doing stuff like that. Did you ever personally see any kind of ghosts or specters? Yes, I've seen on my and I can probably count four four times. I, there was a, probably another three or four, but I can't really discount that. But out of the four times, there were multiple witnesses as well that saw the same thing as me. And in fact, one of them was at the Orpheum Theatre. <laughs> yeah, tell me about that. What happened at Orpheum? We approached them about eight years ago. The woman was in charge there, and we were like the first one to contact her, so they let us in. The Vancouver Herald Society got involved as well, so there was a big group of us investigating the whole place. Up in the reception area, there's a uh, male toilet, and in there, there is a janitor, like the female cleaners, is going there. They were always getting bad feelings and stuff like that, and apparently the doors were opening and shutting and that kind of thing as well. And one, one of the cleaners would never go back in there. You know, you, you, you know those kind of stories. Um, we investigated there. Um, we, got a, we got a series of EVPs. One was telling the girls to get out. One of the toilet doors slammed in one of the girls' faces as well. The stage area, you could hear footsteps on. We had a chair move on us when we were when we were upstairs as well. There was there was me and Scott, one of my uh, he's one of my directors, and it, he was sitting opposite me. And the chair was like two chairs up, and it was on my side of the table. Scott was over the other side. Scott said something along the lines of, "We're leaving now. Please give us a sign that you're here. Please do so." When the chair moved, chair moved probably about six inches. Scott jumped up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it scared the crap out of us. <laughs> there was me with another investigator from another group, and one of my investigators now, Ronnie, she was sitting on the table opposite me by the side of a guy called Daryl. Behind me, on my right-hand side, there was a washroom door. So we're sitting there talking. 
it was semi-lighted. The lights at the back uh, were turned on, but around that washroom area, the only thing that was lighting that area up was the exit sign, the emergency exit sign. So you could see it was like it was eliminated. So you could see like the doorway and inside the door, that kind of thing as well. So we're sitting there talking, and then um, all of a sudden, Daryl looks at me and says, "Look over in the corner." I looked over, and I first of all I didn't see it, and I was like, "What are you looking at?" And he said, "There's someone standing in the doorway." So I turned around and looked, and lo and behold, there was a black shadow standing there in the doorway, like uh, an outline of a man or a woman. It's hard to say. Just stand there, standing in the doorway. I turned around and obviously said the said a couple of curses, and uh, Ronnie was. She had her eyes shut, and um, I got up and started to walk towards it, and it disappeared. And that was that. <laughs> when it disappeared, did it just kind of fade away? It, it kind of, yeah, it did. It, it, it didn't go, you know, it didn't go beyond the door or anything like that. It just disappeared in front of front of our eyes. It just like a basically evaporated. Whoa, that's a very very haunted sounding theater. The most active place is a rehearsal room next floor above the uh, the actual stage. It just backs onto the back of the theatre. We probably investigated that place probably about three or four times. We got a woman, without using EVPs or anything like that, we got a woman's voice saying her name was Elizabeth. Everyone that was sitting around on the couches heard it. Like, clear as I'm talking to you, it was Elizabeth. When the theatre was first opened, there used to be a circus in there. And um, there used to be like performing artists in there and stuff like that. And there was one particular room, which is the cleaner's closet now, where um, they used to store the animals. Uh, while all the, uh, the, the artists and stuff like that were um, getting ready in the back. Apparently, they were treated really badly in there. And a friend of mine who was with us, he got an EVP of scratching on the door, like an animal trying to get out. Also as well, that's where the Elizabeth came from. She was a trapeze artist. Apparently came off of a trapeze and fell and hit the stage and died in the theatre. That, that was the validity in like, the name as well. It was clear as anything, like Elizabeth. <clears throat> I would just say that there was um, people there that just wanted to be known that they were there. Uh, there was certainly nothing negative behind it or anything like that. Like, you know, they wanted us to leave. It was just an acknowledgement that they were there. Why do ghosts exist? Why do they stay in one place? Since I started making this podcast, I ask myself these questions almost every day. While I myself have experienced numerous disappearing and appearing items, what I generally describe as poltergeisty activity, and I've seen a doppelganger, and I've felt the presence physically of a ghost cat, and even once smelled what I believe to have been a ghost, I still have never experienced the kind of haunted house and haunted theater activity that has been shared on this show or privately by some of my friends. I know other people who have worked in haunted theaters, and they did not want to come on the show. Often. When someone tells me their story but doesn't want it shared with everyone else, they tell me it's because they're worried that speaking about ghosts will somehow lead to them attracting more of them into their life. They're glad to have left the old job behind 
and don't want any more ghosts. In future episodes, I'll be sharing stories about wandering ghosts. More stories of ghost roads, too, even. But in talking to people for this show, I've noticed that the majority of stories of ghosts do tend to have them located to a specific place. Just something to consider. That said, in my discussion with Peter Wren, president of the Vancouver Paranormal Society, which you'll hear more of, he explained how the majority of haunted houses are nothing supernatural at all. Oftentimes, the presence of carbon monoxide gas or nitrogen or other gases seeping through the foundation cause the kind of experiences that people blame on ghosts. Not only that, Peter discussed how activity of the Earth's plates, earthquakes and the like, are connected with an increase in the reporting of paranormal activity. You'll get to hear his theories about the relationship between ghost sightings and the environment, including the role that mineral deposits might have in amplifying a possible energy source. It's fascinating stuff that you'll want to hear. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever else you get it to hear it when it comes out. While it may provide an explanation for some of the stories, it goes without saying that those he and Bill shared are beyond a simple explanation, as are those amazing stories in the earlier Haunted Houses and Haunted Schools episodes last season. That about does it for this episode. Thanks again to my amazing Patreon supporters, Damian Boyer, John Mijakovsky, Linda Ander, KitKat of Death, and Speak Parlable. This show needs contributions in order to cover the growing costs of hosting it and producing it. Maybe you're a fellow producer, so you know, but it takes some doing, this. So if you like the show, help support it with a donation. But the best thing by far is to tell your friends about the show. You can also leave a review. Start up a conversation with someone and blow their mind. Music featured in this show is by Dots Amp Lines with Live at Jazz or 10th Anniversary, Unheard Music Concepts with Falling and Walking and Nowhere Street, Eric Thorfinson with Invention, The Underscore Orchestra with Narbonne Nuff and Persepolis Solo Dance Piece, Plus Plus with The Rolling Hills of England, and Blue Dot Sessions with Tao Della. The rest were original tracks. Thank you for listening to Supernatural Stories, and thanks for telling your friends about the show and supporting a place for the supernatural in Canada. Please leave a review on iTunes or Google or Facebook if you like the show. I appreciate it. Get in touch with your true story at www.supernaturalstories.ca. Till next time.